0: Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm the new youth pastor here. That was a joke. I'm the old youth pastor, but I was gone for two months. It's good to be back. How are you guys? Everyone doing good? Yeah? Happy Sunday. Good to see you guys. So, we're starting the book of Acts. We're doing it on Sundays and Wednesdays. So, there's going to be some of you guys who sometimes If you're not there on Wednesday, you might get a little behind, but we have a podcast, so that's good, and I'll send out the link every week if you want to follow along with us. But if you got your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Acts, and that's where we're going to be. So go ahead and grab your phone or your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. Let's pray, and we'll jump right in. God, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you, God, that You've brought my wife and I safe back from Ireland. Thank you so much for the amazing things that you did over there. And thank you so much, God, for the amazing things that you did here while we were gone. I'm so thankful, God, for people like Matt and David and Bobby and um, Leif and all these guys who helped. Scott, thank you so much, guys, for our Lord, for all of these guys who helped while we were gone. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that so much that you put people here to hold down the fort. And I just thank you so much for what a great job they did. It's such a blessing to be here, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that your spirit would be here, God. We can't say anything or hear anything that is of any value without your spirit. So I pray that your spirit would show up right now and speak in your name. Amen. Does anyone here have a hard time waiting for things? Anybody? Show of hands. Yeah? Me too. Some of you guys are going to have a hard time waiting for this message to be over. Um, For me, (laughs) it's a horrible way to start a message. You're going to have a hard time with this. Um, When I felt like God told me to go to Ireland, I had to wait for 10 years before I finally went. It was very difficult. Another thing that was hard for me was waiting for a girlfriend. I I knew that God loved me, and so I assumed that he wanted me to date somebody and get married. But during junior high and high school, when every time I was interested in a girl, she shot me down, it was a really hard time to wait. It's hard for us to wait on God because, I mean, so oftentimes, like, his instructions don't make sense to us at all. Like, think about the story of Joshua and the wall. There's there's this giant wall. It would make sense to attack with arrows and bows. Um, But God says, no, marching band. Form a marching band around the city. Um, In our culture, it's become the ultimate annoyance to wait. Um, We microwave everything, and Instagram is instant. And what is our least favorite symbol in the world? It's the buffering symbol, right? You know what I'm talking about? You, You go to a video, you go to something, and it's that little loop. And you're like, go away. You're not supposed to be here. It's 2017. We should have lightning fast internet. Um, Me and my wife went to Ireland for the last two months, and while we were there, we ended up in a place called Clare, and Clare was gorgeous. Like, it was literally, we were in this house. Uh, How many of you guys like the beach and the ocean? Any of you guys ocean and beach fans? Okay, so you would have loved this. We're in this, and literally, you'd look out the window, and you could see the ocean from the window, but not only that, this wasn't like California, like beach and ocean. This was Ireland. So it was rolling green, beautiful hills, and then the ocean right outside the window. One of the most beautiful views I've ever seen in my life. But here's the thing. Claire, as beautiful as it was, was actually the, it was rated as the worst Wi-Fi zone in all of Europe. So even though we had this beautiful view out the window, can you guess what we were complaining about? Yeah, no Wi-Fi, no 3G. We were like, what is this? We can't watch Netflix. That's that's how we are in these days. We hate waiting. There's an old worship song I remember growing up hearing called, I Wait for the Lord, My Soul Waits. Does anyone remember that song? It's like, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord. It's like this very slow, in his word I place my trust. Like just... That's not the melody. What am I doing? It's a very long, slow song, and it's repetitive, and it's like one chord over and over again, and you're listening to the song, and you're like, when is it going to be over? However, we know the saying, good things come to those who wait. We've all heard that. Like, for instance, we're willing to wait for good things. We're willing to wait for Christmas. We know we're going to get something underneath that tree. We're willing to wait. Or getting your first car. How many of you guys would agree? Like, it's a long wait, but it's worth it when you finally get it, right? And you guys get that first car yet? First car, anybody? Yeah? It's worth the wait. Even if it's a junky, beat-up car like my Toyota Corolla that I had from the age of 15 to 26, pretty much. Um, yeah, worth the wait. Um, or the iPhone X or whatever it's called, right? That's going to be worth the wait, right? It's got like 17 cameras. It's got a camera on the side, camera on the back. It's, it's epic. It, we, we know there are certain things that we're willing to wait for. And today we're going to start the book of Acts. In chapter 1, I want us to see the value in waiting for the Lord. The value in waiting on the Lord. We're going to see today, I hope that you see with me, that Jesus and everything that comes with him is really honestly worth the wait. So we're in the book of Acts. What is the book of Acts? It's the sequel. I call it Jesus' sequel. We went through the gospel of John. This is the book that comes after the gospel. It's in the early church. It's written by Luke. He's the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. He's a doctor who traveled around with a guy named Paul. We'll get to Paul later. What is Acts about? Well, if you guys remember the Gospel of John, it was this story about Jesus. It was all about how Jesus came, and he conquered, and he defeated death, and he lived the perfect life. And he's died for our sins, and he rose again, and he led his disciples into this mission all about the kingdom of God. And Jesus leaves his disciples, but he leaves them with the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is about what Jesus did through his disciples what his disciples did with what Jesus left them. It's a story about men who turned the world upside down. So why are we going through Acts? Well, I believe God wants to teach this youth group, honestly. I believe God wants to teach us how to act, how to live out our faith for the gospel. Because a lot of us are church kids. Most of us are church kids. We've grown up in the church. I was a church kid. When you Come week after week, Sundays and Wednesdays, and you hear Bible studies and you get filled up, but then you never exercise your faith? You're like somebody who just keeps eating and eating and eating and eating, but then you never exercise. What happens if you just sit there and keep eating and eating and eating? You become chubby. In the same way, we as Christians can become chubby Christians if we don't exercise our faith. Like, how many of you guys love cars? Anybody? Like car guys, you just, oh, you... Any, no, not very many car guys here. That's okay. I'm not either. Um, what do you guys love? Surfboards? Surfboards, anybody? You guys surfboard guys? What do you guys, do you guys love anything? Okay, so some surfboard guys and girls here. So imagine you bought the best surfboard ever, right? I'm changing my analogy just for you. Imagine you bought the best surfboard ever and you maintained it and you waxed it. That's something surfers do, right? You waxed that surfboard and you, you got it in prime condition, but then you never surfed it. What a bummer that would be. That's a lot of times how we treat our salvation. We're saved, we're given this gift, this precious gift from God, and and we, we go to church and we get filled up, but then we don't actually use it. And just like John... Just like in the book of John, we looked at Jesus, but not just Jesus, we looked at the disciples. That's what we're doing in this book. We're looking at the disciples of Jesus. If we're gonna really call ourselves disciples of Christ, we need to follow the examples of the first disciples. Now, here's why Acts is important. Get this, if you can study Acts without being moved to action, then you've missed the whole point of the book. I'm gonna say that again. If you can study the book of Acts and just go through it and go, oh, this is a nice story, but not be moved to action, then you've missed the entire point of the book. The first thing to understand, the first thing I want you guys to get is what is the church? What even is the church? A church is not a building. A church is not, it's not like, oh, I go to this church. It's in this building. It has this projector and this light system and these musicians and this pastor. The church is actually the body of Christ worldwide, like globally. Like, not just the American churches, not just the Irish churches, not just the Israeli churches. The church is about people all around the world who follow and serve Jesus. We are a part of a family. And this story is the story of how that family started. Acts tells us about how the Christian movement came into being. Acts shows us how the church is to act in the culture and in the world. We're called to act as a light in the darkness and as messengers of love. So... Let's get into it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. This is Luke writing. He says, I wrote this first narrative, Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? People have been wondering about that for ages. Um, It could be a guy named Theophilus. The name Theophilus means lover of God. So some theologians believe that he's writing to just some guy named Theophilus. Some people think that it's a code name that Luke used just for the church. Like, hey, lovers of God. So, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and he says, I wrote in this first narrative, Theophilus, lover of God, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after he had suffered. So the first thing I want you guys to notice, notice that word chosen. He talks about disciples being chosen. God chooses ordinary people for his purposes. Those disciples, the 12 disciples, they were just ordinary people, just fishermen, tax collectors. There was nothing special about them, and yet God chose them for his purpose. It's incredible. Like, think about this. It is so incredible that God chooses us, you, me. Hey, I'm talking about you, you. God chose you for his purposes. Like, how many of you guys know that you mess up? Anybody here know that you fail and mess up? Yeah, We mess up all the time. Now, how many of you guys have a social media account? Like, I don't care if it's Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. How many of you guys have a social media account? Any show of hands? Yeah? Okay. So I've seen how you guys manage these social media accounts. You care, you know? You go on there, and it's like things are color-coordinated. You know, you've got, like, three pictures in a row, and they're, like, all blue or whatever, you know? It's like the color tones match up, right? You care about that stuff because it represents you. So now imagine a sixth grader comes up, and says, hey, I want to manage your social media account for you. Give me your password. Would you do that? No, you'd be insane to let a sixth grader manage. They would just post cat memes. Be like, what are you doing? And yet, like, you would never pick a sixth grader to run your social media account. God chooses us failed people to run his kingdom. He chooses us, just like he chose Adam in the garden to to basically run the world before he messes it up. He chooses us, the church, and says, I want you guys to carry out my mission. That's amazing that God picks us. He has faith in his people, even though we're failures. We're like little sixth graders running around. God knows that we fail at times, but he absolutely knows that we will mess up, but he gives us responsibility and mission. God is amazing. Look at verse three. It says, after he had suffered... He also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus shows up after his death. He resurrects and he shows up and he says, hey, here I am, and he's proving himself. Uh, Some ways that we saw in the Gospel of John that he did this was he walks through the wall into the room with the disciples when they're all like freaking out about how Jesus died. He's like, hey, I'm alive. And he shows up and he goes to Thomas and he's like, Thomas, look at the holes in my hands. He shows them many convincing convincing proofs that he's alive and then notice what he speaks to them about the book of Acts sets it off by telling us the point it says he says um, that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God notice that that's his subject the kingdom of God is one of the core messages of the Bible And in many churches, the sad truth is we hardly ever talk about it. We focus a lot of times in the American church about how Jesus came to save us. We focus on how we're called to have a personal relationship with God. Uh, and, and, And then we kind of drift into this thing where it's like, Jesus fixes my problems. And then we have all these series in church where it's like, you know, five steps to Jesus fixing your finances, you know, six steps to Jesus fixing your marriage. Like that's, in the American church, and a lot of churches, that's the focus. It's how Jesus makes us rich, how Jesus makes us happy. It even gets into the prosperity gospel where that's the whole focus. It's just Jesus literally came to get you a Ferrari and a PlayStation 4. But that's not the point of the gospel. The point of the entire Bible is about Jesus establishing his kingdom on the earth many of us have forgotten the purpose of the story of the bible is not about god helping you fulfill your dreams the story is about god bringing us into his dream a world without sin a heavenly kingdom made of all races tribes and nations across the world god had a plan when he started this world he wanted a family and sin broke that family up and the great story of the bible is about god bringing that family back together However, if we wanna be a part of that dream, I wanna be a part of that dream, I look at the world and I see all the brokenness. You turn on the news and you see people, just like racial tensions. That's a huge thing in our country right now. Races hating one another, accusing one another of things. Just so much drama about that. It's a constant thing. We see wars all around the world. Nations fighting one another. People hating one another. Even in families, we see families broken apart and people holding grudges. Jesus sees a world where there's peace where there's no more war, no more division, no more racism, no more family problems, a world where everyone loves one another, a world where everyone worships one God. If we wanna be a part of that dream, if you wanna be a part of that dream, if I wanna be a part of that dream, we need to realize how much we actually need God's spirit. And that involves waiting for the spirit to come. The first thing I want us to realize is that God's spirit is worth the wait. Look at verse four. It says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. This, guys, this would have been amazing for the 12 disciples to hear that they were about to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, These guys, the 12 disciples, remember, they're Hebrews. So they grew up reading stories about David and Samson and Jephthah and how the Spirit of God would fall on these guys. The Spirit of God would fall down on these guys and help them to accomplish a specific task. David has to fight Goliath. The spirit falls on him, and now he's able to defeat the giant. Jephthah, one of the judges we learned about in Judges in in our Kingless Kingdom series, um, the spirit falls on this barbarian woodsman named Jephthah, and now he's able to go and defeat the Midianites. The spirit falls, but here's the difference. Because the spirit operated differently in the Old Testament than it does in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had people separated from the Spirit of God, right? People who at one time, Adam, Eve, in the garden, the Spirit of God is with them. It's together. And then sin enters the picture and people are separated from God's Spirit, right? But at certain times, God's Spirit would like, whoa, fall down on them and fill them with his power. The difference is, is in the New Testament, God is offering something different. He's not offering just the Spirit whoo, falling down on you for a temporary time. No, God is offering the Spirit entering into your person, the Spirit becoming a part of who you are, the Spirit that comes into you and never leaves. That's, that is amazing. Think about that. That's something completely different. The spirit living within. For the disciples, this is the completion for them of two prophecies they had heard in their life. One was a prophecy that they heard the prophet Joel speak of. This is when they went to Bible school. When they went to church, they would have heard studies about the prophet Joel. In Joel 2.28, Joel says this, afterward... He's prophesying about the future day, one day when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions he's prophesying that one day God's spirit will fall on his people and fill them and be with them and then Jesus actually gave them a prophecy in John 14 in verse 15 it says this is Jesus he says if you love me he's talking to the 12 disciples in the upper room if you love me you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever he is the spirit of truth the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him but you do know him because he remains With you and will be in you. Do you guys see this is amazing for the disciples? They've been waiting for God's Spirit to show up. It would have been so exciting. It was the next part of God's plan to restore the broken relationship between man and God. It was this promise of the Spirit. It would have been so exciting they would have grown up hearing those stories about Adam and Eve in the garden together with God and how sin separated them but then Jesus shows up in the flesh and it's God with them Do you realize that the disciples experienced for the first time what people had been longing for since Adam and Eve to have God walk next to you Jesus shows up and he's with them But then they're given another promise. Jesus says, hey, I've got something even better than me physically with you, hanging out next to you. Imagine if you could go surfing with Jesus. Imagine if you could go hang out with Jesus or skate with Jesus or go get lunch with Jesus. How amazing would that be? It's amazing. But Jesus says, I've got something even better. It's my spirit who is with you. God will be with all of his people through the Spirit. Here's my question for us. What about us? Are, are we waiting for the Spirit like the disciples? Are you in your life constantly waiting for God to show up with his Spirit? You know, in, in this story, the Spirit hasn't come yet. We're in chapter one, the Spirit doesn't come until chapter two. I, in my life, kind of have a tendency to not wait for the Spirit, if I'm honest. I have a tendency to try to force the spirit to do what I want it to do. Sometimes I think of the spirit as like a force and like I wield it like a Jedi. That's not how the spirit works. Like we don't force the spirit to do anything. The spirit, God's spirit chooses what we do. We need to step into what he's doing. You know, I sometimes have a tendency to like say in my life, this is what God wants me to do when actually I don't really know if I've heard from him. I just have this strong feeling like I'm supposed to do something guys, I want to encourage you. Don't be like me. I'm going to try to not be like me. I want to be more like Jesus. Don't be like me. Be more like Jesus. Don't force the Spirit. The Spirit is promised to us. Think about that. The Spirit is promised to God's people. He promises it. Like, there's certain things that I ask God for. Like, hey, God, it'd be nice if I had a better car. God's like, no, (laughs) not yet you gotta drive that car for now My Brooklyn's car was working great I think I'm cursed because my car was horrible and then Brooklyn's grandma who's here today hey Claudia she's so sweet she donated to us a car a really nice car that Brooklyn drives and then Brooklyn gave me her old green Chevy Lumina and as soon as I touched it it like started dying um, when I turn the key in the morning it's like and then it like starts starting up like it makes this horrible noise um, sometimes I pray I'm like God it'd be great if I had like a sweet car and he's like nope I did not promise that to you. You must suffer through that green Chevy Lumina. But there is one thing that God promises to us. If you ask God for a spirit, you don't have to ever wonder if he's going to give it. That's a guarantee. If you ask God for the spirit, he will give it to you. But we have to be willing to ask and wait, to not just rush into things in our life without talking to God. How many of you guys right now are rushing into things, relationships, jobs, hobbies, visions, dreams for your life, but you haven't taken the time to say, hey God, is this right? Is this what you have for me? Listen, we're in the book of Acts. There can be no true acts without the Spirit. We can't do anything without the Spirit. We need to be filled. I wanna be a youth group that waits for God's Spirit. God has really been teaching me about the importance of praying and waiting before doing. Like I said, with Ireland, There were so many times um, with Ireland where 10 years ago, you know, God told me, you're going to go to Ireland one day. He said that. I knew that he said that. It wasn't like, hey, maybe you'll go. God spoke to me and said, one day you will go. And there were so many times over the last 10 years where I was like, I want to go right now. And I think about it. If I would have gone when I wanted to, you know, four or five years ago or six years ago, I would have missed out on so many awesome things God had with me in this group so many amazing relationships that were built, so many amazing things that were done, just so many amazing things that I was blessed to be a part of. And I would have missed that completely if I would have ran off to Ireland in my own time. I, w- I had to wait and God showed me the perfect time, and we were able to go two months ago, and it was this amazing trip, and God started doing this work in my heart, showing me all the potential that there is in Ireland, all of the awesome things that God is doing over there, and now I'm helping guys over there build websites and, and plan things, and it, it's been such a blessing. I want this youth group to be a youth group that waits for the Spirit, a youth group that's expectant, that we show up to church and say, God, are you here? Are you going to speak? Are you going to do something? I know you are. God, speak to me. Speak to me. God has been teaching me about the importance of waiting and praying before doing. Uh, We used to preach the gospel in this group a lot. When you guys were in middle school, we actually went through the book of Acts a long time ago. And and I think the only people here that would maybe remember it would be like people in Justin's grade. Um, But we went through the book of Acts and we started going and preaching the gospel on the weekends. Like once a month, we were going and sharing Jesus with people. Surfers were getting saved, skaters were getting saved. It was amazing. And listen, here's the reality I I want this group, I honestly, I want this group to grow. I want this group to grow spiritually. I want you guys to grow in your relationship with the Lord. I want you guys to have a depth to your character. I want you guys to have a passion for the Lord. And I'd love to see new people here. Not new people. Listen, this is not what I want. I do not want to see uh, people, you know, from North Coast or North Coast Calvary, like get pulled from their groups over here. That's lame. I don't want to do that to those youth leaders. I don't want to see people steal people. I don't I don't want to steal anyone from another youth group. Here's what I want to see. I want to see people in your lives, in your schools, who have no idea who Jesus is. Or maybe they went to church when they were a little kid, but they're like, Psh, I don't even care about, like what is Jesus, what is the gospel, what is church? I wanna see those people show up and be transformed, not by my words, but by what the Spirit is doing in your lives. I want them to look at your lives and say, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about that girl. What is going on here? The only way this group will grow is by the spirit moving and by us, you, spreading the gospel, spreading the word about Jesus. It's hard, like I can't, I'm 28 years old. I can't like walk up to high school kids in the park and be like, hey, come to this house on Wednesday nights that we do this thing at. They're gonna be like, whoa, I'm calling my parents and the police, who are you? I can't do that. But you guys can. You can invite people. You can show people who Jesus is. It needs to be all of us, the church. So, you know, when I was in Ireland, I was praying about going through the book of Acts, and I was like, as soon as I get back, we're gonna go preach the gospel. Like, every weekend, we're gonna go and share Jesus, and it's gonna be awesome. And, And I felt like God was speaking to me, and he was like, you need to wait. I know you wanna do that right now. I know you wanna just plan a bunch of street witnessing and go take people, but the first thing that you guys need to do as a group, God was speaking to me, was saying, you guys need to learn the importance of prayer and of the spirit in seeking God for his will. So I haven't planned any witnessing stuff yet because first things first, as a group, before we go out and do great things for God, we need to pray and get on the same page. I want us to be a group that prays together about God starting revival in our schools, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Look at verse five, what he says. He says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. I could see the disciples thinking, like, okay, that's weird. Like, are we going to get in a big pool full of the Holy Spirit, like at camp? But like, instead of water, the pool is drained, and it's just like the Spirit, and you're going to get baptized? What is that? This, this section brings us to an interesting question. What is the baptism of the Spirit? I think that's a concept that a lot of us have heard about before. Some of us maybe like might be kind of shaky on it, like we kind of know what it means. Some of us, maybe you've never heard that before. This is a great time to go over it. So Jesus talks about John. John, not the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. This is the, uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist would baptize people with water. He was this crazy guy out in the wilderness with wild hair. He would eat crickets and honey. He'd, like, dip the crickets in honey, giant beard, crazy clothes, just wild man. And he was baptizing people into the water and saying, because you're being baptized, it's symbolizing that you are now a part of what God is doing. You're joining God's movement, and one day the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to change everything, and then Jesus shows up, and Jesus wants to be baptized, because even Jesus wants to be associated with God's mission. It's, it's this amazing moment. So so Jesus right now is speaking of a different kind of baptism. He says, John baptized with water, but you guys will be baptized by the Spirit. Now, Let me talk about baptism for a second. Baptism was a huge part of life for the early church. Like, imagine this, okay? Like, use your imagination for a second. Put yourself in the shoes of the early Christians. You live in a country, Israel, caught between two worlds. On one side, you have your religious family and friends, And they're strict. Like, they keep all of the laws in the Torah. That was their Bible. It's an honor-shame culture. Did you know that? The Israelites lived in what was called an honor-shame culture, where they were all about honor and then shaming you if you didn't do things right. They were obsessed with the Old Testament, obsessed with keeping all of the laws, and your whole life is about trying to be good enough for your religious family. Some of you guys might be like, that's my life story trying to be good enough for my religious family. You hit the nail on the head right there. I don't even want to be here. My parents made me come to church. Maybe that's you. And there was so much law. It was all about do this, do this, do this. But there was not much grace. If your donkey, back then you had donkeys. If your donkey, that was like, you didn't have a car for your 17th birthday. Your parents were like, here's a brand new donkey. You're like, thanks mom and dad. Oh. Um, if your donkey fell into a hole, but it was the Sabbath, that was this religious holiday on Saturday where basically you were supposed to rest and not do anything. If you were driving your donkey and it fell into a hole, your religious family would be like, you can't get that donkey out of the hole because that would be work. That would be work to lift the donkey out. You have to let the donkey die, basically. Just see what happens. Trust God. It was this very strange time. So there is the religious family, the religious traditions and all that. That's one side. And then on the other side, you live in a country that has been occupied by a secular, barbaric government, the Romans. Okay? Imagine that your country that you live in got invaded by another country. And all of a sudden, all of your laws, all of your rules, all of your customs, everything had been changed. The culture is calling you away from your religious, traditional family, saying, Forget religion, party. The Roman culture, for the Jews living in that culture, the Roman culture would have been saying to them, worship idols, there is no God, only Caesar is Lord. Worship politics, worship money, worship power, worship sex, worship food and drink, worship pleasure. We're all gonna die, so eat, drink, and have fun. So imagine, you're this young person, being constantly pulled between two different cultures. On the one side, you've got your religious, traditional family, and then on the other side, you've got the rebellious culture that says that you are free to do whatever the heck you want. Is this story at all relatable? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, super relatable. So. You've got the pull of the two worlds, and then there is Jesus, and Jesus has a crazy message. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says to the Jewish culture, yeah, everything in the Old Testament is very important, but it was never about religion. It was always to point towards a relationship with me, a relationship you can have with God because of me, and the hope that God will one day restore this place to the way it was always meant to be. And then he turns around to the Roman culture, and he says, all of these things you're chasing, sex, money, power, none of that is going to make you happy. You're living for the wrong kind of kingdom. Live for the kingdom of God, a kingdom that's fighting to point people to the only thing that can free them, which is a relationship with God, a God who is coming back to fix the problems of the world. Do you see? Do you see what I'm talking about? The message of Jesus is completely different from the message of either one of those worlds. So here's what baptism symbolized in those days. When you became a Christ follower, you would go down to the river with your friends. And your friends who love Jesus just like you would pray with you. And then they would hold you down under the water. And as they lowered you under the water, it's like you were saying, I am dying to these false worlds. The dying to the religious way of life. Dying to the secular Culture. It was almost like you were drowning those voices in your life. You were symbolizing by going under that you were dead to those worlds. And when you came up out from under the water, it was like you were being reborn into a whole new world. It wasn't the ritual of going under the water that saved you, but this was a way that Christians showed one another another, they were saved. It was a way that they showed each other they were serious. It was like getting a big old tattoo on your neck that said, Jesus is king it was a visible way to show people how much you cared and it's still a very important part of our faith the things that we like in life the things that we go and we we give our approval to those are ways that we show what kingdom we stand for I think seriously think about this this is just something that came to me as I was studying this baptism like how many of you guys have gone to camp and you've gotten baptized, right? You go under the water, and it's this public declaration that you stand for Jesus. This is something that's kind of on my heart because we live in a culture now where we are making public declarations all the time about what we stand for, and that's through social media. Think about it. On social media, you like what you stand for. You comment on what you stand for. You repost on what you stand for. You see something, you identify with it, you go, I like this. This is what I'm about. And you hit that little like button. For some of us, it's second nature. We do it without even thinking. But here's something to think about. On a lot of social media, there's easy ways for people that you know, your friends, your family, and unsaved people, people who don't know Jesus, to see what you like to see what you comment on, to see what you associate with. There's been many times, honestly, where I've been on social media and it's popped up, so-and-so like this, and I'm like, really? Why? Like, that's, that, that picture, that thing, that goes against everything Jesus taught. That's, that's completely against the way of Jesus. Why are we liking these things? Why are we sharing these things? Why are we commenting on these things? And for some of you guys, you're listening to me right now, and you're like, Aaron, you're such an old person. Like, what on earth? Like, what? It's social media. Everyone does it. It's not a big deal. But I would really encourage you, making a public declaration about what you stand for is a huge thing in this culture. I would really encourage you, think before you associate yourself with something that might be against the kingdom because you are called to be a new creation. I remember, um, just to give you a practical example of what I'm talking about, I remember there was this girl, this one year, this is like six or seven years ago at camp, and she just, she came from a rough background, and you know she went to camp, and just totally God lit her life on fire. Her life was changed. She was passionate about Jesus. And this is before Instagram, so we had Facebook back then. So she was on Facebook, and she was making public declarations about how much she loved Jesus. She was actually writing poetry, just sweet little poems about Jesus and how Jesus had redeemed her and rescued her and posting those on her Facebook. And it was so sweet. It was amazing. And me and my wife were just so proud of her. But then I remember probably about three months after camp, all of a sudden on her feed, she started posting like super sexual memes and, and posts and, and, and stuff like, I hate my life and everything's terrible and just like, and everything was a downer and everything was very sexualized and very perverted and, and we were just like, what is going on? This is so sad. Because this girl who loved Jesus and was passionate and posting poetry about Jesus, now she was publicly declaring allegiance to another kingdom, the kingdom of the world. Think, Just think. I know you guys, social media is second nature to a lot of you guys, but think. The bapt- um, let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus talks about water baptism, going under, making a public declaration, he then talks about a different kind of baptism. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is amazing, okay? Basically what it is, is it's where God's Spirit completely just comes over you and fills you and soaks you up with his presence so that you're just filled with this power, it's kind of like in the Old Testament when that spirit would fall down. See, every single one of you guys, you have the spirit. As soon as you gave your life to Jesus, the spirit of God filled you. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to ask him for a fresh filling of that spirit. I remember when I was in Australia um, a couple years ago, I was down by the coast and the beach in Australia. The beach in Australia is weird. They have a, Australians actually build a swimming pool into the beach. So like you're down in the cliffs and there's like the water and then there's like a pool built in, like it's like It's kind of overkill. Like you can just go in the water. Why do you need a pool? Super weird. So I was checking that out, looking at the pool, and I had my iPhone in, and I had my headphones in, and I had my camera, my digital camera out taking pictures, just full technology, just going for it. You know, it's 2015 at that time, you know, just checking out the water, (laughs) and I was uh, watching the water kind of slam against the rocks, you know, and I was like, this is so cool, and I was taking pictures. This wave comes up and just slams into the rocks so hard that literally this Australian tidal wave came up and over me like completely, like literally the water went up and above my head and crashed down probably about three feet behind me, Ruin my phone, ruin my camera, ruin my iPod, like all of that stuff. I was so bummed. And then super random, like I was drenched and I look over and there's this Chinese guy in the corner laughing at me like, Ugh. and I was like, what is going on? I'm in Australia. I just got a tidal wave on. And then this guy, it was very strange. Anyway, that's what we need though. We need God's spirit to come slam up against the rocks of our life and just fill over us. Fill us with his spirit. We all need a filling of the spirit. It's not a one-time thing. You don't pray for God's filling of your spirit one time at camp, and then all of a sudden you've got that filling for the rest of your life. We need to constantly be filled with his spirit. Like, here's an example. Um, I've said this, guys, to you before, but your body scientifically is like, I think, 60 or 70% water, um, You've got a ton of water in you. It's it's coursing through you. It, It makes up a huge part of who you are. So even though you've got water in you and it's a big part of you, do you still need to take a drink? Yeah. You still constantly get thirsty. You constantly need to take a drink. In the same way, the Spirit is a part of us. When you get saved, it's in you. The Spirit flows through you. But we still need to go to that well and take a drink. We still need to say, man, I'm having a hard week, Jesus. Man, these tests are really beating me down. This gossip in school is really getting me down. These temptations and struggles are just, they're, they're just destroying me right now. Jesus, fill me with your spirit. How many of you guys ask Jesus for that filling of his spirit on a regular basis? We need to do it. We've looked at how we need to wait for the Spirit. Now I want us to see the importance of waiting for God's will. His will is worth the wait. Jesus returns, right, from the dead, in the flesh, and he tells the disciples, I've got a mission for you. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom? to Israel at this time, and he says to them, hey, guys, it's, it's not for you to know the time or the period that the Father has set by his own authority, but you, you guys, will receive power by the Holy Spirit. He has come on you so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and basically everywhere to the ends of the earth. Guys, <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I, I'm envisioning this, this picture right now that's very relevant to our culture. Um, I'm envisioning the disciples, you know, coming up to Jesus, and they've got their little red hats on that say, make Israel great again, right? That's what they're doing. Look at right there in verse 6. They're like, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Are you going to make Israel great again? Lord, what's going on? And, and they think they know the will of God. They're like, Jesus, you're here. You're back from the dead. Now you're going to fix all the problems in our country, Lord. There's tax problems. There's health care problems. There's potholes down in Jerusalem. You're going, to fix, you're going to make Israel epic. It's going to be great. Remember the story that we studied in Judges? What, what do we name that series? Kingless Kingdom. They want a reversal of that. They're like, we have not had a good king in this kingdom for a long time. So, like, Jesus, please, we really need a king. And Jesus shuts them down. He's like, yeah, no, not yet. They're like, what? Jesus, you're here, be the king. He's like, no, it's not my will. That'll come, but not yet. Like, that kind of response, I don't know about you, but that kind of response is so frustrating. It's like when somebody kind of gives you that little pat on the head and is like, yeah, you'll understand when you're older. You're like, dude, I'm 17. It's like, yeah, one day. I, I honestly feel like this is the response that God has given me my whole life. Like, I remember I was like, oh, God, I've got this crush on this girl. I'm in the second grade. This, this girl, she's the one for me. I'm going to marry this girl. And God's like, Yeah. Let's come back to that, buddy. Nah, not, no, I'm in junior high. And I'm like, God, I really want to marry my crush. She's the best. She doesn't even know I exist. And God's like, hey, buddy. How about no? No. Nah. Don't worry about that. I remember trying to start a business when I was 15, doing graphics and web design, going around door to door, passing out my business card, thinking I'm going to get rich. I'm a 15-year-old business owner. And God's response was just like, Yeah. Mm, maybe not, maybe one day, but not today, update, I'm still not rich, so it hasn't happened yet, still waiting on that, Lord, but, you know, what I can tell you, honestly, all joking aside, God's will is worth the wait, honestly, like, I waited, like, when I was a kid, I was like, I am gonna die in a cave, alone, and single, forever, and I'm gonna get to get get to heaven, and God, like, the angels are going to laugh at me because I never got a girlfriend. They're going to be like, loser. And I'm like, this isn't heaven, it's hell. Like, that's, that's what I thought. I had this horrible vision about how life was going to be. And, and, and God ended up bringing Brooklyn into my life. I did not expect it. I showed up at Bible college and just, I was like, okay, I'm single, not ready to mingle. (laughs) Like, just this this is gonna be a bad experience for me already, I know. And God brings this wonderful, amazing, just sweet, adorable woman into my life. Just blows my mind with how amazing she is. And man, it it was so worth the wait. I can tell you, it was so worth the wait. And, And for me, like, you know, I had all of these, you know, dreams about what job I was gonna get. I was gonna go to Hollywood. I was gonna be a film director and all this stuff. And I just kept waiting, you know, for God to show me his will. And he did. I have the best job in the world, I think. I love being a youth pastor. I love preaching the gospel. I love pointing people to Jesus. It was so worth the wait. Guys, I want you to notice that Jesus shoots down their dreams, but he immediately replaces those dreams with a mission. He's like, like, make Israel great, restore the kingdom. And he's like, yeah, that's not going to work. But let me tell you guys, (laughs) haha, I have a mission for you. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses all around the world from the furthest corners of the globe. He's like, you guys are a part of the global mission to rescue and restore the world and point them back to God. Don't miss this, guys. So many times our dreams and visions are so narrow-minded. Think about it. Think about this. Think about if the disciples had gotten their way. Like, if they're like, Jesus, bring back the kingdom right now. And Jesus is like, okay, whatever you say. And just all of a sudden, the, you know, Jesus comes back fully, new heaven, new earth, kingdom restored. Would that, would that be a good thing? Yeah. But none of us would be born. None of us would exist. Think about that. If Jesus had given the disciples what they wanted right then, you and I, like, the, the chain of events in history that brought you and I into existence would not have happened. We would not be born. God looked into the future and saw you and wanted you to be a part of his kingdom. He wanted you to be a part of his family. And to him, he said, it's worth the wait. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff that happens in the world over the next 2,000 years, but it's worth the wait. Guys, the disciples had such a small vision of what they believed God could do. But God's vision was so much bigger. His vision was not just to save and restore Israel, but to save and restore the entire world. That's a vision I can get my entire life behind. That's the kind of vision that propels me to go to Ireland for two months. That's the kind of vision that propels a a young girl who used to be a part of this group years ago named Juliet Vest to go on her first missions trip. Um, I just saw her on Facebook. I'm not sure where she was. She was out somewhere kind of tropical and uh, jungly. And I was like, that's so cool. She's preaching the gospel. She's spreading the word. Mariah Savigny, one of our volunteers over the years, she's going for her third time to Uganda to preach the gospel. Guys, you don't, and listen, please catch this, okay? Like, I'm not saying that the goal is to go to another country because you can spread the gospel in your own backyard as well. In your school, in your neighborhood, please do not wait till the missions trip to spread the gospel. Every day is a missions trip for the Christian. God's plan for your life is so much better than whatever plan you or I have. I don't care about what college you're thinking about going to, or what dream career you have, uh, or, 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 you know, I, like, literally, you could end up with the best job in the world. Okay, the most successful, money giving, just awesome job in the world. You could have everything that you want, but if your life does nothing for the kingdom of God, if you have no part in spreading the gospel, you've pretty much wasted your life. I'm not saying that you, the goal is to grow up and work at the church and be a pastor or a pastor's wife or a children's ministry person or a worship leader. That's not the goal. The goal is to live your life in a way where through your words and actions, you lead people into understanding who Jesus is. That should be the great goal of our life. Not what college am I going to go to, not what career, because that stuff's all temporary. That's just, that's literally like the, the secondary stuff, the side quest, and not the main mission if you're a video game fan, right? What I'm saying is every one of us should live a life that takes a part in spreading gospel, because God's will for our life is so much better than anything we could dream up. Take it from me, it's absolutely worth the weight. His spirit is worth the weight. His will is worth the weight. And next, we will see that his return is worth the weight. We studied this passage on Wednesday night. I'm just going to go over go over it again very briefly. Um, verse nine. After he had said this. He was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, there were gazing into heaven suddenly two men in white clothes. And they were like, Hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going. It's crazy. Jesus is just standing with them there. He's like, all right, guys, here's your mission. Here's what you do. See ya. And he, like, floats off on a cloud. And they're like, what? Like, just imagine you're, like, talking with your friend. And your friend's like, all right, man, I'll see you later. And then all of a sudden, like, a cloud comes out of the sky, scoops him up, and, like, he flies away. You'd be like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) What did I just see? Like, am I on drugs? What is going on? This is crazy. The disciples stare up into the sky and they're like, did we just get punked? Like, and then they start thinking, like, is he really gone? When is he coming back? Jesus, come back. Just come back, Lord. How many of you guys hate waiting for, um, have you ever done that thing where, like, you're at church with your mom? Mom. Oh, <laughs> at church with mom. And, and all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to go home because church is over and you're like, I want to go home. I want to eat some cereal. I want to play some video games. It is way too early to be up, 11 a.m. on Sunday, way too early. I sleep in, if it were up to me, I'd sleep until three, and you want to go home, and your mom is talking to her friends, just talking, just, and you're like, mom, mom, do you remember like tugging on your mom's sleeve, like, mom, let's go home. mom, does anyone know what I'm talking, is it just me, okay, so you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, okay, yeah. So that's, that's how the disciples feel. They're like, Jesus, like, when are we leaving? Like, earth is hard. Like, come on, wrap it up. I, I believe truly that's how the disciples felt because right after this, the Romans started beating down their door saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, we will hunt you down and kill you. We'll boil you in oil. We'll throw you to the lions. We'll crucify you upside down. Like, things had gotten really bad for these guys. So of course, they're they're ready for Jesus to return. And unfortunately, they don't know that it's gonna be another 2,000 years that go by and iPhones are gonna get invented and cars are gonna start driving themselves and Jesus is still not gonna come back. Listen, Jesus is waiting for a reason. Jesus wants more people to be saved. And that's got to be hard for these disciples who are dying. They just, they're like, Jesus, please just come back. But you know what? These disciples never lost their faith. They all ended up dying for their faith, the 12 disciples. James was stabbed to death with a sword. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was nailed to an olive tree. Thomas was Stabbed with pine spears and tormented with red hot plates and burned alive. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Nathaniel was flayed and crucified. James was pushed off a temple and beaten with rods. Simon was crucified by a governor. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks. Matthias was stoned while on a cross. And John was boiled in oil and exiled to die on an island. It's intense. But these guys stuck with it because they truly believed it. They really believed in this stuff. This is why the gospel exploded. Like, if any of you guys, like, just for a second, if any, I don't know if any of you guys are, I think every youth group has a few people like this. I don't know if any of you guys are, like, kind of, like, here because your parents make you go here, and you're kind of, like, doing the undercover atheist thing, you know, where, like, you're, like, all right. Yeah, I'm going to nod my head and, like, I'll sing along, but, like, I don't believe any of this stuff. And as soon as I get out of my parents' house, I am just getting out of this Christian thing because this is weird. Like, what is this, a cult? Like, what is this? I don't know if any of you guys are on that. Some of you guys might be there. I don't know. I don't know your hearts. I can't peer into your hearts and see where you're at. So if any of you guys are in that place, think about this for a second, okay? Just, you know, think about it. In those early days of the church, The 12 disciples had nothing to gain from this. There was no money involved in this. This was not prosperity gospel. Peter wasn't like, hey, Jesus will give you your best life and wealth and health. Like that was not happening. These guys were being hunted down. Okay. Jesus dies, right? They think he's dead. They've given up, right? Then Jesus appears to them, risen from the dead. And he's like, I'm back and I've got a mission. And they go to complete that mission. So, like, just, just like, let's, let's just pretend for a second that, like, they made up the resurrection part, okay? Let's just say, you know, Jesus died, and then Peter's like, all right, guys, we've got to keep this thing alive, so what if we just steal the body and pretend Jesus is alive, and then we can keep the church going, and even though we know that Jesus is dead, we can at least, like, you know, bless people and do all this stuff, and they agree. Let's say they do that, right? And they steal Jesus' body, and they fake the whole thing. Like, do you think that once the Romans started beating on their door, arresting and killing their families, don't you think at least one of those 12 guys would have been like, uh, hey, Roman guard, before you stab me, I actually have a confession. Yeah, we made up this whole thing. Don't you think that would have happened? But it didn't. 12 people. Like, <laughs> this is not in my notes, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I've been in many situations, especially in junior high, when I was a junior high pastor, where some of you guys were part of this many times. But at camp, people are being sneaky and sneaking off and doing night hikes without asking permission and all types of dumb stuff. And, And I've been in many situations with many of you where, you know, there's like four of you and you're all lying about what happened and you've all corroborated your stories, right? I can't tell you how many times where, like, out of those four or five people, like three of them don't get their story straight. And they're like, oh yeah, like Jessica said we were supposed to meet up at the pond. And you know, it's like, well, no, like he said it was Brian, not Jessica. Who's Jessica? I made her up. Like there's so many times where people lie and they don't get things straight. And it's like, they can't keep their story straight. Do you think 12 guys would have been able to lie successfully if it was a lie? Do you think 12 of those guys would have been able to hold down that story? No way, And then the story spreads, and it's this huge thing. Like, these guys really believed it. And the gospel spread all throughout the world. The the gospel spread to, like, every corner of the world. To me, if you're here and you have any doubts, just think about that. This thing spread in the face of people getting murdered. If it was a lie, I think, honestly, that whole thing would have shut down pretty quick and people would have started admitting it was all a lie. I made it up. Please don't kill me. But these people, they knew that they saw Jesus. They knew that Jesus came back from the dead and stood in front of them with power and authority and said, I have a plan and mission for this world. And they gave their lives to that mission. To me, that is evidence to believe in the gospel. They knew that his return meant that he was saving the world That we are going to live on a new heaven, a new earth with no more pain, no more death, eternal life. Guys, when Jesus returns, it is going to be worth the wait. God is going to restore everything. Right all wrongs. My aunt right now, my my sweet aunt Lisa in Oregon, she's, she's dying from cancer. She doesn't have much long to live. She's she's at the point now where she knows that she's going to die and she's doing everything that she can to prolong it. And we're praying for a miracle. We're praying God please heal her, please save her. I believe God can do it. But there's a huge chance that, that she could die from this. And her husband actually has cancer too now, my uncle Jim. And watching them fight through it is such a it's it's painful to watch. It's so it's so it's so sad. And my wife, or not my wife, my mom, um, she just went down to Oregon to do, like, this walk for the cure for cancer with my aunt, and it was so sweet. And even though it's sweet looking at those pictures, I'm just, like, looking at it, and I'm like, oh, man, it's, it's still, it's just, it's so sad to watch her go through this pain and these treatments and all these things. And I, and I look at the hope of the Bible about a new heaven and new earth with no more disease, and I'm like, yeah, heck, Yeah. Bring that on, like a a place where no one gets sick, a place where there's no more suffering, no more evil. I want to see that world happen. I want to be around to see it. That's the world that Jesus is bringing, a world with no more cancer and no more cancer of sin. That's what we're praying for, for God to bring that kingdom. And I'm so excited to see it. And so I'm going to invite Desiree up, and we're going to close in a song. And after that, we're going to spend a little bit of time praying. So, Desiree, you can, you can come up. And here's, here's what I want to do. I want Desiree to lead in a song. And then when we close, we're just going to have a time where anybody who wants to pray can pray. We did this uh, two Wednesdays ago. I want us to be a youth group that prays together, okay? So we're just going to have a time after the song where anybody that wants to pray can pray. Here's what we should be praying for. We should be praying for revival, for revival in our schools, revival in our families, revival in our neighborhoods. So many of you guys, stuff going on in your families, people that need to get saved, relationships that need to be fixed, that are broken, hearts that are hurting. Some of you guys have people in your schools that you know they need Jesus. Some of you guys have problems in your own life. We need to pray for revival, not just in our schools, in our country, in our families. We need to pray for revival in our hearts, for God to fix what's broken in our hearts. So I'm going to pray, and then Desiree is going to lead us. And then we are going to pray. And we'll just pray for a few minutes and anyone who wants to pray can pray and then I'll close. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time. I pray, God, that you would bless us as we worship you. God, we thank you for your will, for your spirit, and your return. We thank you, God, that they're so worth the wait. Help us to be patient. Help us to wait, Lord. God, I just feel led to to pray for these students, I pray that they would be willing to wait for you. Help them not to rush into things. God, help them not to rush into plans without talking to you, plans for their future, their colleges. Help them to seek you and be patient and wait. Help them not to rush into relationships without knowing that you're guiding them and directing them. Sometimes we just jump into those things because it feels right and we're attracted to one another. It all seems to click. But God, so many times we don't make you a part. I pray for anyone here who may be struggling with that. Help, I pray for them, help them to seek you. Help them to ask, Lord, is this what you want? And if it is, bless it, Lord. And if it's not, help them to make adjustments. Lord, if there's anyone here who He's dealing with temptation and giving in to sin on a regular basis because they feel like whatever it is they're seeking, waiting for you to give them that fulfillment is not worth the wait. We do this all the time, God, with with sex and drugs and pornography and 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 all these different things, Lord, relationships and and, and all these different things that we fill our life with. We, we seek these things because we're not willing to wait for you to fill us with what we're seeking. God, help us to wait on you when we're tempted to sin and say, God, I need you to give me what I need, not this sin. I pray for these guys that you would help them, Lord, to wait for you in everything. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen.